Welcome to Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective podcast, where we meet experts from all walks of life to learn their intrinsic motivation so that they can share it with the world. What do we have in store today? Stay tuned to find out more. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza, and salutations out to David. Couldn't make it today. He is missing out on a treat, and I actually feel a little selfish for interviewing this guy today because I love traveling the world, but this guy has me out in spades. I mean, he has a book, he, uh, Youthful Art, Midlife Travel Adventures, the website. We're going to talk a, a lot about traveling and traveling adventures and meeting fun folks like that. And also on his site, he has uh, 23 tips to stay safe when you travel. So that is of utmost importance of people that are traveling to locations that they're very unfamiliar with. I, Without further ado, I'd like to get right into it. I'd like to welcome Chris Herman to the podcast. Welcome, Chris. Hello, Hamza. Yes, good to be with you. Yes, I'm glad you could make it, calling all the way from Australia, and that is one place that I have not made it yet, so uh, I, I can't wait to make it out there, and maybe we'll share a pint. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Look, it's just, uh, it's just down under. It's, just, uh, it's not that far, really. Yes, yes. Well, the world is so small, and for people that have not traveled outside the U.S., you know, once you get that bug, it seems like you cannot stop because you do realize how small the world is, and there's so much to learn. And once you get out of that bubble, I don't think you can really get back in. Would you agree? Oh no, exactly. It's uh, it's one of those things we we get um, we get absorbed in our uh, in our sort of lives and what's going around us, but we step out of that, um, and you know, it's just um, fascinating just to experience different uh, different places um i mean it's not only just the beauty of the uh, what the world has to offer in terms of just the the whole uh, what nature has to offer but uh, to me the biggest thing is uh, is meeting meeting different people and um i mean one thing that sort of stands out no matter how diverse the culture is that we're basically all the same uh, have the same sort of needs and, and different personalities and that that's a fascinating part about it about traveling yes it, it's so funny because you know it, for some of us that were i was once one of those people and you know living in a small town and you may be the odd person out in some cases and once you get to the big city you're like oh wow there's more people like me but then when you bring that to the next level and you go to different countries it's really funny how we kind of congregate through no fault of our own it seems like there's this uh, universal uh, tithings or tetherings that tether us all together and you're like wow I'm so surprised I met you like it doesn't really surprise me anymore I expected yeah. it yeah yeah, we all tend to be fairly tribal, I, I guess, by by nature. But uh, yeah, once we we step out and meet other people, it's um, it's uh, that that's just the enriching part about travelling. Yeah, and did you were you always a traveller, or I mean, your book is youthful art midlife travel. So did you always travel, or you got the bug late in life? Um, we we, we I, I did some travelling. It's, it's it's different to the the younger generation. Like here in Australia, a lot of countries they call it people taking a gap year, and uh, it's where 
between university or after university or after college, people then take off and, and typically travel overseas for, for you know, normally a, a year. Um, when I was at that stage in life, didn't have that same opportunity to travel overseas, but um, did uh, travel interstate and um, and it's only really perhaps a bit later in life when uh, when ventured out to uh, to overseas uh, but since then have done quite a bit of traveling lived overseas uh, with uh, with my family uh, three children in uh, places like um, you know, Saudi Arabia which was uh, was which is which was interesting because it was such a different culture that was a fascinating part about it uh, lived in North America for a few years, so had that background of um, those uh, overseas opportunities. Um, but then this particular travel that I did, um, which is part of the um, where the book came from, it was uh, first time I'd actually travelled for that length of time and and solo. So that was a whole new experience. Now that's that's huge in itself because if you if most people had to go solo they wouldn't go at all. So how did you overcome that hump? Or I'm sure people were in your ear like, "Are you crazy? Why would you go by yourself?" Well, certainly I, I was asking myself if I was crazy, and, and I, I guess the background to it, to where this came from. Um, my uh, wife of 40 years. Um, you know, after a week of uh, becoming ill, suddenly uh, passed away. So it was a it was a major, uh, I, I guess, uh, upset in, in in my life. And um, I guess as a result of that, I it's sort of the realization from her suddenly passing away that you can't take life for granted because these things always happen to other people. And I uh, suddenly found, well, this this doesn't just happen to other people; it can happen to yourself. And it's just a realization that, you know, that that life is really a gift that can be taken away just as just as quickly. And I and I felt the the growing need from that I that I needed to uh, to embrace uh, embrace life. And as a result of that, uh, and and also the need to to really to challenge myself as to where this next stage of my life was going. And, and I used to joke about these young people always uh, heading off in, in what we call these gap years, just um, disappearing overseas for 12 months. And I used to sort of joke, oh, they should be more responsible and go get a job like the rest of us had to. But then I was starting to think, well, well maybe it's not such a bad idea after all. And um, um, just for the, the point of view of actually uh, being challenging, uh, stepping outside the comfort zone, and so that was really the the, the basis behind uh, where I that that led me to uh, to take on this uh, this, this adventure. And sorry for your loss, definitely. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it says, but but going back to uh, I guess the original question is that while I had this crazy idea to go um, go backpacking around the world and like I said it's the first time I'd ever really traveled solo and I was going to countries that you know that um, people don't normally go to and, and a lot of people saying were dangerous and so as a result of that all these fears were kicking in uh, like going for 12 months on uh, what 
what you're going on your own, you know, that, you know, that voice inside you, in your head that sort of, you know, that's always there to try and protect us and keep us safe in our comfort zone. You know, I kept on going with, you know, dealing with all those fears and, um, oh, you're too old for this and, you know, it's dangerous and, and, and that was the, um, the, the challenge, you know, that, uh, against that, um, following the heart, uh, versus all these fears that were kicking in. And uh, in the end, it was just really, it, it sort of came back to, um, um, you know, the fact that that realization that how my wife suddenly passed away and uh, just thought in the end, no, let, let's just do this because uh, life is a gift and uh, I just feel that strong urge, I just need to get out there and embrace life. So that's what led to um, doing this uh, crazy idea of... Um, uh, of a, um, well, as a describe a grandfather backpacking around the year uh, solo. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Uh, I, I'm thinking before we get into it is when you said can't take life for granted. In many cases uh, with other people that I've spoken with, you know, throughout time or what have you, uh, they had certain opportunities like to travel or, you know, fill in the blank, and they felt, well, now's not the time, or I'll do it when I retire. And then, like you said, one of these, one of these huge disruption happens, and then it's like, now I need to, you know, I, I can't let these gift horses go away anymore because uh, they're always around us if we pay attention to it. Yeah, no, exactly. That, I think that's the biggest trap uh, is that uh, we, we, we put it off. Um, for the ideal time, and that that was a strong urge for me. Is that um, is once again, it's because I, I when, when something like this happens to other people, and I and it happened to me, and and there was that uh, you know one side of me say, oh, we'll just leave for a few years, wait till things you know settle down, and 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 all my affairs are all sort of you know all, all in place, and and perhaps near proper retirement, then I'll do it. But it was just that urge. Now I need to act now, and um, so yeah, I, I don't have any regrets about doing that. Absolutely. And you keep. Uh, I don't think you mean to be doing this, but as I interpret it, you were saying like the let's. I don't want to say whippersnappers, but the young folks, right? They do that gap year, and then you were saying yeah. grandpa, and it made me think of uh, this one gentleman I met in Miami. I was at uh, the Winter Music Conference. It's a big conference. People fly in from all over the world uh, once a year, and, and it's a big music festival. And anyway, there was this guy there, and he was an older guy. And uh, for whatever reason, we started talking, and he was like, yeah, I'm here with my niece and nephew because no one my age does any of the things that I do. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to know, do you stake to yourself or you find yourself sometimes migrating to those people during that gap year? Uh, well, I mean that's it is interesting. I, I think as we uh, as we sort of grey up top, you know, get older, uh, we we get more slotted into a, a comfortable way of life, and and our fears sort of also grow as well. Because that, that's the one thing that I came back, you know, from from my year, is that obviously I was travelling with a, with a um, a lot of younger people, <clears throat> and um, yeah, I mean, they're out there being adventurous and they're, they're sort of in, uh, experiencing different cultures. And I'm thinking, well, 
they're out there having all this fun. Um, our generation's missing out. I mean, we didn't have the same opportunity then, but we've got it now. And um, <clears throat> and I think that's our biggest, excuse me, <clears throat> our biggest dilemma is that um, is that our fears kick in, and uh, and that, I think that's our challenge is to step outside of our comfort zone, and and that's why. You know the title of the, the book there you know, is the youthful. Uh, we, we we that's our challenge to bring that youthfulness back into our lives. <clears throat> Absolutely. And uh, the other thing I, I want to think about, or I want to talk to you about, is uh, in America, which is uh, kind of sad. But you know, some of us get two weeks vacation. Some people get four, five, and six weeks vacation, but they feel guilty, so they never take it. And so when we think of traveling or vacation, it may be two weeks at a time. And so it's a totally different muscle between comparing two weeks versus 12 months. Now, was that a huge jump, or did you build up the 12-month uh, excursion? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I mean, I, I don't consider myself a, a high-risk taker, but I, I, I look for... What what I strive for is the is the experience, and and when I you know went backpacking uh, around the world, um, it, it it was a progressive thing. Like I um, um, before I took that trip, there's a uh, I saw a flight come up and it's a, a two hundred dollar flight or US dollars would have been about one hundred and fifty dollars for a, a flight to Singapore return, and I thought well. I'm going on my own now, and I, and I just discarded it. But then I came back and thought, no, it's, it's almost like a gift. You can't, you know, um, it's a bit like, um, you know, I, I, it's what about a four or five-hour five flight or something. So I thought, no, I'll, I'll do it. And and that was a bit of a, uh, a stepping stone because I, I just took a backpack and I, I backpacked around uh, Malaysia and Thailand. And it's just for two weeks, and that that was a stepping stone to give me the confidence to say, "Yeah, this is um, I, I I can do this." Um, so it was. If I hadn't done that, well, then I don't think the idea of the gap year uh, heading off for a whole year would have would have uh, been as plausible in my mind. Yeah, I love it. And, and I, I suppose, like you say, with with a lot of vacation time in the U.S., um, and I think you know, there's a an example with one week's two weeks is just to use that just to to be a bit more adventurous because I always had that principle when I was traveling if it felt uncomfortable then I felt the the need I had to do it and because um, it was just um, like I said it was stepping outside the comfort zone and it wasn't for, for doing risky things it was just the fact that it felt uncomfortable to me and I think that's the opportunity where you know people have saved just a, a week or two weeks uh, vacation just to do that. And when the time comes, say, um, say in retirement, there's the, there's more time. Well, then you you sort of really prepped up to be able to to even take it further. And I want to ask you about risk tolerance in itself because uh, one thing it, it was it was a problem for me. Initially, I, I was an ugly American after like seven days, and what I mean by that is no matter where I went, if it was Germany or France or Italy, I looked for the, you know, quote-unquote American 
experience, not the American experience, but the American stores, you know, like the McDonald's yeah. or the, the, the Starbucks. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> how do you, do you look for a totally new experience or do you slowly edge yourself into what the culture is doing immediately? No, I, I actually try to avoid any sort of Western type uh, place, like the, avoid them like the plague. Um, and and, and, I, I, and I, I get what you mean because it is comfort. Um, and um, but I, it's the um, it's exp- once again it's experiencing uh, that different culture. So going to um, you know to restaurants where there's local food served. Uh, to me, that's all part of the experience. The only thing I must admit, I, I still find it hard to handle is, like, for example, Asian um, breakfast. And I, um, but but all the other meals, at the lunch and the dinners, I, I sort of love exploring the uh, those different cuisines. No, I like that. So, but I get what you mean. It, it is that that comfort sort of backdrop. But um, I, I, I just think there's. Um, yeah, it's just that that whole part of that whole experience. Right, and I think that's where I'm going with the next question because you're you're saying 12 months at a time, and if a typical American goes for like two weeks, they're looking for, as you said, the Western amenities as well, a Western accommodation. And so, are you doing? You're backpacking, but are you staying at hostels? Or are you renting homes in the uh, around the locals so you're not seen as a tourist at all? Yeah, that's uh, that was the aim to really live like a local. Like we're, we're part of the my gap year, the first three months, like all I booked on this um, on this venture was just uh, I booked a round the world ticket over twelve months. I just had three stop offs, and the first and nothing and nothing else planned in those three or four months in between. That it's just take each day as it came. But the first three months, I did actually. I went to um, I flew in. The flight was into Madrid. And then I got to Madrid and I thought, okay, well, I, I had in mind to go to the city of Valencia. Um, but it's only when I got to Madrid that I found myself at the railway station. And, and I, I don't speak Spanish. Uh, well, I only knew two words, and that was C and K. Um, so anyway, I, I found myself to the railway station. And then once I was on the train going to Valencia, well, then I started booking accommodation because I thought, well, I know, I know where I'm going now. Um so it was, um, um, yeah. So that, that that was perhaps a, a different part of the rest. I just and and I went there. I didn't know a soul. But then after by the end of that three months, I had this really um, good little social group sort of going. So it was, and it always said to me like, had I um, listened to my fears and not gone, sure I would have been comfortable, but I would have missed out on that that great opportunity. So it was after that then I really just went uh, just for the backpack through uh, for the rest of the um, uh, for the rest of the uh, the year. I love it. Would you also say that traveling through and and I have no reference for Australia, so pardon my ignorance, but I'm thinking with Europe it's easier to travel as you mentioned with the rail system. You can get around from country to country. It's unfathomable here in the states to do something like that. Were, were you able to, to move uh, move around uh, more easily using the rail system? Uh, where I went, I, there wasn't really a lot of access to rail, so it was mainly by buses. Um, so it's right through Central America, uh, and I just did the top part of South America, Southeast Asia. It was all by bus and. 
and it's a uh, it's a great system and, and there's some really I mean it ranges from you know the most modern buses you could have uh, sleeping buses one bus that had like a effectively a full bed in there where you could lie down and sleep um, to, to the, the good old chicken buses uh, the yellow school bus uh, type buses but I mean it's a, it's a great system but to this day to be honest I've got no idea how it works but it, uh, but it does it's like for example I can tell you a story I was up in Costa Rica at a place called Cloud Mountain and uh, I wanted to get up to the next country up to, to Nicaragua and I was told if you catch the 6am bus um, then when it crosses and the bus that heads to the other side of the coast and when it crosses the Trans-American Highway, get off. So so I leave at 6am, get this, find this bus at 6am. We're winding about an hour and a half down the mountain and we get to this, you know, to the crossing where it crosses the Trans-American Highway and we get off. The bus stops, we get off, there's about eight of us get off and the bus takes off and we think, well, well now what? And, and the idea is you wait for another bus that's heading in the direction you want to go. So anyway, eventually um, the bus comes, uh, comes along, a nice, fancy, um, uh, you know, quite a modern uh, luxury bus. Hop on the bus and, um, and off we go again. And then it crosses the border and then get over the border and then the bus stops again. And um, so we get out and there's two of us, three of us at this stage and before the bus takes off, there's this yelling from, uh, we'd hear yelling from across the road, and as the bus takes off, there's this chicken bus, and they're waving to us to get on there. So we walk across the road, they throw our backpacks on the on the roof, and they jam us in the back of this bus, and uh, literally crammed with people, and as I say, bums and armpits and faces, and next half an hour later, in this lovely little um, seaside village of San Juan del Sur and the Pacific and Nicaragua. So... It, it works. I um, still don't know how it works, but um, 90% of my travel is by bus, and it's uh, just a great way to get around. Is that another thing, another uh, thing that you would notice if you're talking about backpacking? Would you notice a, a novice, they're traveling with too much luggage? Oh, definitely. I mean, I was in Europe recently, and, and we went away for three months uh, just with a backpack no bigger than carry-on luggage size. And and you could argue that, okay, it's, you know, it's having to carry a backpack around, it's um, a bit hard on the back, particularly as you get older. But, I mean, if you keep it down to carry-on luggage size, it's, um, you know, it's quite manageable. But you see some people um, lugging their their uh, trunks or suitcases around up and down steps and railway stations and <clears throat> yeah, it's just um, just makes travelling too uh, too ridiculous when you've got to carry large uh, luggage around mm-hmm. and it's such a liberating feeling just having a backpack it's, uh, I mean I like I said when I, my first three months was in Spain but then when I got to my next uh, stop off in, in uh, Central America I actually ditched the um, the suitcase and then just travel with just the um, just the backpack and, and like I said, it's really just a liberating feeling. Mm-hmm. And and that this and, is a good thing. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was going to say like you really don't need as much as as what you think. I mean, I I just have the uh, the principle of two of everything. Um, you know from two pair of uh, trousers with zip off uh, pants to make shorts. Um, um, two tops, two undies, two socks, and and 
you know, as, as the as, uh, as the core core type items, and um, and you just wash things out each uh, each day, and like I said, uh, and then do the sniff test if everything's going good, then you keep rinsing it out and on for the next day, <laughs> and then when the sniff test fails, then you need to find a laundromat. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I, I want to, since I'm speaking to an expert, I think you kind of gave the first clue. And here in the States, I think all major airlines, with the exception of two, charge you for baggage. And so right. that kind of cuts your traveling in half as far as expense wise, wouldn't it? Well, that's that's right um, because a lot of the discount lines they they make up for, for charging you for baggage. So, so that that's one saving. The other, <clears throat> the other, just that convenience when you get off the off the flight, um, you don't have to worry about it um, waiting. You got your bag with you and just walk straight out the airport. But, I mean, the main reason really is just that um, uh, just that convenience of travelling from place to place. Absolutely. I mean, I will admit, you know, like I was probably a, a few uh, kilos or a, a pound or so over the legal weight, but um, I, um, I, if I, I just, if, if there's any suspicion of being caught, well, I'd just stuff some of the heavier stuff in my jacket and put my jacket on. So I brought the uh, carry-on bag down to down to legal weight. Uh, that's what I was going to ask you because they're. Uh a friend of mine, he just went to Colorado from Atlanta, and he saw an e- you know he got a thing in an email and it was like flying for thirty bucks. So he's like, I was going to jump on it, and then after they, I think they charged him for the seat on the plane. They charged him to bring his own chair. They charged him for <laughs> air on the plane. <laughs> it was so much nickel and diving. How do you determine what's a good, what's actually a good fare, and what is where they're really going to just nickel and dime you the whole trip? Well, I, I suppose one of those things when you really drill down to it, you discover, um, you know, what all the extras are. Um, but yeah, I mean, on, on this on this particular trip, I, I just booked that one major uh, round the world ticket before I left. Um, I did have a couple side trips, but they were pretty well just. Um, pre-booked like in for around Christmas I, I took a, a week or two weeks just off and this trip went up to the to the States and um, had Christmas and friends up in New York State and up to um, Canada just to catch up some friends for uh, for New Year but then I was uh, back into Central America mm-hmm. I want to ask you about a typical day now I know some some folks, I'm guilty of it from time to time, not always, I'm getting better day by day, where you schedule the whole day versus someone that's like, well, let's see what the day brings. What's your position on planning your day when you're doing this extensive travel? Well, I'll just step back from that. Like, I, I, I've had some friends, and um, I was sitting with them one day, and they went uh, to the extensive detail about how, how the whole trip was planned day by day, and I thought, wow, that's pretty impressive. You know, like I just because my whole idea was just to take each day as it came. Like if I if I liked a place, I stayed. If I didn't, I moved on. Like one place was that I mentioned before, San Juan del Sur in Nicaragua. Um, I only planned there just to you know pass through there, perhaps a, a couple of days, and move on, but. 
I got involved with um, um, yeah, some some people in the community. One was a Rotary Club where they were, um, you know, they would facilitate uh, school leavers from the U.S. They would come down for a, a week and they would take on a school and they'd paint it and plumb it, and then that school group would leave and another one would come down to take on another school. So I got involved in that club, you know, part of that, um, you know, in their coordination role. So I ended up staying there probably about uh, three weeks. Um, but in terms of uh, each day, <clears throat> one of the things that I enjoyed doing, because one of the things about traveling, I guess, that that period of time, you can get a bit, you can travel for the sake of it, and every mountain starts look the same as every other mountain, every waterfall looks the same. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's to add a little bit of purpose within that travel. And, and what I did was I, I enrolled in Spanish classes. Now, please don't speak to me in Spanish because um, it's, it's not my forte learning languages. And it's been, uh, you know, what I did learn, I, uh, I would have forgotten now anyway. But anyway, the, the point being is that I, I would enroll, I probably did about eight weeks of Spanish over five different countries. And um, <clears throat> so I, and it was typically like a half a day per day. And and what it did was was uh, several things. First of all, it gave a sense of um, sense of purpose and a sense of satisfaction. Actually, uh, learning about the language. And and I was, you know, I mean, when I was doing, I was able to you know start conversing with um, you know in the language. So it was that sense of satisfaction of learning something different. Um, so it was stretching the um, you know uh, stretching the mind a bit. But the other thing too, it actually it uh, was a basis to uh, a social aspect about uh, meeting people. Yeah, because I was travelling on my own. Well, it was it was one opportunity to meet people, and I made some good friends out of the different classes I went. In fact, one good friend um, that I met through the class in uh, Costa Rica and, and Panama uh, recently asked us over to stay with uh, with him in uh, in Switzerland. So that that's just one of the nice spin-offs of um, being able to meet people. Mm-hmm. Here, here. And I, I will concur that, you know, while sitting in, in school, learning the language is totally different than actually living there and being immersed, where you had to learn the language to survive night and day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was uh, when I first enrolled, um, like I never had any intent to, to learn Spanish, but I thought, well, I'll, I'll give it a go. And uh, so I enrolled in this class was actually in Spain. and. Anyway, the uh, the first week didn't go well. They because um, everything was in Spanish, and I, I couldn't even understand the uh, the teacher. And when the teacher asked me a question, well, it was sort of you know, I had this sort of dropped jaw and this glazed look at me, and just got no idea what what she was talking about. Anyway, they they told me, look, stick with it; it'll get better. Anyway, in the end of the week, they gave me my money back. So it. Uh, oh wow! Didn't, didn't <laughs> but anyway, I. I, I persevered with it, and um, and I did about, like I said, about eight weeks over five different countries, and and I, I sort of enrolled what I call more the uh, the kindy uh, kindergarten for for adults and um, Spanish classes, and it uh, and uh, and for the reasons I mentioned before, it was something I actually uh, enjoyed doing. Do you surf by any chance, Chris? 
Well, it's interesting you should say that because I, I don't surf um, and my my um, youngest son's a uh, keen surfer and he's, he'd always been badging me that, uh, come on, Dad, let's, let's come out surfing. But, of course, the issue down here is it's, um, it's all right in summer, but then there's those snappy tom sharks we have down here, which is, um, 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 to me, is... Um, not feeling quite as adventurous to be uh, meeting up with those, <laughs> so I never really took it up with him. But when I was in um, I was in Costa Rica, uh, opportunity came up to take on surfing, or at least you know have, have a go at it. And all the conditions were right because they don't have these things, these sharks over there. And it's really quite a crazy thing to be um, um, in the water in the in the uh, Caribbean. There's nothing there to try and try and take you out. So I, I did had to go surfing, and I managed to get a photo of me on a board. Um, uh, but you know, unbeknown to people seeing the photo, that that was only about uh, probably five seconds. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so yeah, that that was another thing about just just uh, I guess stepping out of the comfort zone, just just doing things different um, that I wouldn't normally do, and that that was just really part of the whole. Um, experience of the, um, uh, of the of the travel. Yeah, I was going to recommend. I mean, if you're by Nassara and all that by uh, Panama, I mean, it's some pretty decent surfing. It's a good time. And the way yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I think my son. Well, he's he's in the family. Our little kids. I think would love to have actually come over and um, and join me and uh, and taken up some of those little great surfing spots there. Let me ask you, I'm a tech guy, I like gadgets and all this other stuff, and I was just wondering, did you, or are you playing with any of these, these new translation uh, vehicles where you can use your phone and say, I want ice cream, and they translate it into wherever you were in the world? I, I didn't know if you were starting to incorporate those. Oh, man, that, that was my savior. Like, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> like Google Trans Google Translate. I mean, who came up with that? That's a great thing. Like I was in this post office and I had to post a letter, and yeah, you, know, you walk in the door and it's got this little um, stand there, this electronic stand, and press this for that, press that, for press that. And I had no idea what the thing meant, so I got out my Google Translate and pointed the thing at the, you know, using that picture thing. Oh, I see. So press that, and that's uh, where I had to go. So and then same when I. Um, went to the supermarket and uh, just to understand what what milk is you know like it's uh, leche you know so it's a point point the thing at the uh, the cart and just to make sure you know what you're buying and uh, you know that that's uh, basically you can't leave home without it is, is the way I look <laughs> at it and in, in yeah. terms of uh, gadgets like you know people would say to me uh, you know were you ever lonely and I mean, sure, I was traveling alone, but I was never really, uh, never, never really in the sense of the word lonely. Like, because a lot of times um, I would sort of meet people and we'd sort of, you know, hang out together and, and you know, some good friends that have still to this day. But other times, as a foundation, like when there was gaps and all of that, the, my social base was my, my family and close friends. And once again, it was through the, the smartphone. Because um, every country I went to, first thing I'd do was get a, a local SIM card. Mm -hmm. So I always had mobile data access. 
I know you can get Wi-Fi, but sometimes, you know, Wi-Fi is not there when you want it. And so, you know, I'd get messages from my son, how you going, Dad, where are you? Um, or, you know, be, you know, video chats with, um, you know, my children and grandchildren. So it provided that 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 sort of base social connection. And, and to be honest, I, I I sort of wonder what it'd be like to travel without it. I mean, some people say, oh, it's good to get away, just, just leave your phone um, at home. But... I think for that length of time, it would be uh, to me. It was it was just a central part of travelling. Because the other thing too, in terms of the uh, travelling um, and connecting with people, like I'd use the smartphone for for different apps um, mm -hmm. to connect with people. One is uh, Meetup.com. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Yeah, uh, it's quite big in Spain. In fact, because um, it's used for you know, connecting with, um, you know, as the name implies, meet-up. Some might be organising, a, you know, a dinner or a brunch or, a, or a, uh, a wine tour. or So, in fact, my social life in, 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 while I was in Spain was, was actually busier than what it was in Australia, and I, I thought I had a busy <laughs> social life here. And other mm -hmm. times, I, you know, I went to, um, I was in transiting back through um, uh, Colombia, and uh, I had a spare day, so I went on this uh, thing that was like intonations um, and found a, a group that was doing a, a hike for the day. So I joined up with them and, and had a great day with them and then you know, some of those still keep in contact with them. So it's just through a lot of those apps, um, Facebook, um, local groups, that's, a, that's another way of connecting with people. So there's all these different tools that uh, apps you can use, which is provides you know some great social connections. And there was another one in uh, I did a bit of a side trip to Morocco, and I was there. Um, and I, I through I think that's another one through Internations. I contacted the founder, uh, a person just happened to be Australian um, lady who who's been there for um, several or uh, 12 months or something. And I said, well, can you, um, I'm just here for a couple of days in that particular city. Do you reckon you could show us around? So anyway, she took us around and, and one of the other people that was staying at the Riyadh, which is like the guest house where I was staying, um, they joined and, and the group of us um, went around, had a look around the city courtesy of this um, person who lived there. So got local experience and all from one of the apps using the, the smartphone. So yeah, the the tech stuff is uh, I, I think it's just such a great asset for uh, for traveling. One that you didn't mention was TripAdvisor. Do you <coughs> use that at all, or do you find it to be legitimate? Yes, I I did. I mean, those tools like TripAdvisor, Lonely Planet, um, and, and certainly local Google searches as well on on sort of highlights of a city. <clears throat> so when I'd get to a city, I would um, then just do a bit of research, you know, the top things to, to do or see in the city, and TripAdvisor would be would be one of those tools that, that I would use. Mm -hmm. I have a question about, uh, the last question about tools, about Google search. And so did you notice different type of searches depending on the country that you're in? Like, it was, it was amazing to me in the States we would get one group of information versus if I were in the UK, you know, not, I mean, outside of just the local stuff, it just seems like national news is on a whole different scale in different countries. 
Or did you see any similarities with that? Yeah, Google does tend to sort of localize it. So depending on on the region you're in, it will then uh, you know give you searches in that particular region, which can be a bit annoying too because that that change the language and uh, mm-hmm. they'd be presenting the search bar and contents in language I, I just couldn't understand. So that that didn't help much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <coughs> yep. Now, on your site, you also talk about 23 tips to stay safe when you travel. And I know probably in your home country and here in the States, you know, we have that, like you said, that creatures of comfort, and we're used to our familiar surroundings. But when we're in a foreign land, uh, what are some tips that we can use to stay safe? Yeah, well, just, just on that safety, like we always fear things how unsafe they are like I was talking to some yesterday um, in the States and talking about and this just doesn't apply to America it's anywhere and the, the guy was talking about his mother that uh, she didn't even want to go interstate like to uh, state America because uh, you know terrorism and all those fears and like I said that's mm-hmm. not just America so it's all I mean that's you know obviously extreme case but we all have these fears and I have them too about going to a place and you think, well, you know, is it safe? And, and um, um, yeah, but it's, I, I think we're our worst worst enemy in terms of our fears. And, and I have this saying, it, it's, it's only dangerous until you get there because mm-hmm. we're sitting in our armchair at home and pondering this and we're hearing all the news how bad things are in the world. But when you get there, then you find, well, it's really not that, that bad. I mean... Certainly, any country, like in, take any city, the city you live, the city I live in, there's places where you know, we don't go. If we go there, we're at higher risk. But in some places, um, some countries, those places, the no-go zones are bigger than what our cities may be. But, but there's still some great places to see. Uh, like, for example, I was told to not go further north than Nicaragua is too dangerous. So anyway, I, um, uh, the next country up was Honduras, and I thought, well, you know, there's people going to Honduras and coming back. It can't be too bad. <clears throat> but it wasn't quite that uh, blasé. But what I did is I, I followed common tourist routes where there's a lot of tourists that were going um, in these particular places I was going to. And, and and the key thing, I mean, had I had I sort of succumbed to those fears that people were saying, well, I would have missed out on some great opportunities in Honduras mm-hmm. when diving there, and, and then further up to Guatemala, uh, you know, some of the um, uh, people I, I sort of met there, you know, just really fantastic experiences. So, really going back to your question, I mean, the first thing, I, the first tip to me is to seek out local advice. Like I was in uh, in Colombia, um, and I arrived about midday, and I thought, well, I'd been uh, travelling for a few hours, and I wanted to get out, just do a bit of, you know, go for a walk. And they said, <clears throat> and there was a mountain where you can go up for a bit of a, a lookout. And they said, oh, look, yeah, best not to do it now. Do it in the morning. It's too hot. And I thought, oh, it's not, not really that hot. <clears throat> anyway, they convinced me not to do it, but the reason it was actually safer to do it in the morning because in the morning, the, uh, this particular route, you know, walking path up this mountain is lined with police. So it, um, it uh, and there was, you know, literally hundreds of people either jogging up or, uh, or walking up. 
So once again, it was just heeding that local advice. So the first thing I'd do when I checked into a accommodation, I'd say, well, is this safe to go out or where is it safe? And, and even if looked at, oh, no, no, it's completely safe, well, then I'd have that confidence to uh, to venture out. So it's, it's really just uh, being streetwise. And the other thing, too, is I, I never... Um, ventured out where there wasn't other people around like I mean I'd, I'd, I'd go out a lot on my own like sort of exploring the city but if sometimes I found myself just ventured out where there's no one else around like um, well then I'd backtrack just so that there was plenty of people around mm-hmm. so that's just some of the basic um, tips um, that um, you know that I that I uh, uh, always recommend I, I want to point that you had mentioned someone were asked, they were asking you if you were lonely, and I wanted to uh, posit this question to you, to a scenario, and get your take on it. Uh, another friend of mine, she was going to China, and uh, she was bringing a colleague, a work colleague with them, and before they had gone, the work colleague had like looked at all, all the web, everything on the web, and when they left, he had like uh, the mask. So he didn't get sick, you know, from uh, from um, what is it, bird flu at the time. Uh, and, you know, he he was like super super prepared, right? And uh, he was the only one that got sick when he got there. <laughs> uh, so yeah, what's well, your take on that? As far as the mind leading us to our biggest fears, if we let it. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe there's something in it. If we if we think we're going to get sick, well, then I'm sure we will. Um, I mean, interestingly, for that whole 12 months, and I, I never got sick once. I mean, I stomach might have been a little bit unsettled, but certainly not not as in sick. And and some of the uh, the places and the food I was eating, you know, I could look at this bowl of stuff, and I'd say to say to my stomach, "Come on, stomach, we can do this." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and some of the places, see where where I mean, there's one place I was staying at this Buddhist monastery. Uh, it's in uh, Myanmar, and it was a nice meal, a really tasty meal, spicy. And and then I looked out over the side, out, out through the window, and I thought, my God, this this is this is where they prepared it. You know, like it was uh, <laughs> not the most sort of uh, wouldn't pass, pass any health test by our standards, but um, yeah, well, it's just uh, yeah, maybe I was lucky, but. Um, uh, and I, I think too, if you, and I think you're right. If you if you think you're going to get ill, well, then you probably uh, probably will. That's. And I always look at it this way. Look, it's it's all good for the immune system. You know, the more you sort of challenge it, well, then the stronger it gets. So, right. You know, it worked for me. Yeah, I was just thinking that you know I would be offended if somebody keeps coming up to me. Where's the safe places to go? Can I be safe? You're like. Uh, we lived there our whole lives. It's kind of, you know, like you said, if you just keep your street smarts and your wits about you, you can't go in with a fear-based mind. I mean, how are you even going to enjoy yourself? Yeah, no, I, I think it still was. I mean, these are, like, these are, say, at hostels or guest houses, and, and they're used to travellers coming there, and I think it's, um, it's a fair question they would expect. I mean, it, it does, I mean, I, I, I can see what you mean. It does sound a bit um, naive, but uh, I, I think it's uh, it's a reasonable question to uh, to ask, um, and and it's also asking other travellers who um, you know who've been there for a while and just to get the the lay of the uh, lay of the land. 
But um, yeah, no, I would I, I wouldn't hesitate to ask that dumb question um, just to um, yeah, just have that confidence of uh, where is like when I went to Morocco, um, I was taken by by a taxi and we're wandering away through these sort of streets and 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 there's sort of really dark, dingy alleys and there was sort of you know cats and scrounging through garbage cans and there's people lingering around it it didn't by our standards it didn't look a very nice place to be and the crazy part about this in marrakesh you go through these windy little sort of dingy streets and you got this black door and you knock on the door and the manager opens it the door opens and it's just like a little oasis this little um this delightful little guest house inside and anyway they they told me no look it's it's all safe around there so um and and yeah, like it, it it looked on the surface a bit sort of dodgy, but it was um, uh, certainly didn't have a sense of uh, being unsafe. And, and similar experience when I was uh, in Valencia in Spain, I lived in this middle of this two thousand year old city, and it's all these little you know little laneways that sort of meander around. And once again, by our standards, you'd, you'd think twice about going there, but there was just that sense you could sort of feel that it was actually um, safe to go there and and um, you know even the women would say they were quite uh, comfortable about um, about walking around at night so once again it's just picking up that that local knowledge and uh, and that uh, and I guess that that sense of um, intuition as well but I mean but having said that I mean, no, no place is safe. Like, it's dangerous wherever you are. It's dangerous at home. You get out of bed in the morning and you're subject to dangers. It's um, like there was a case where in, in um, Nicaragua there was a thing doing around the local faces group about someone was um, threatened by a uh, machete. machete. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, the same thing back in my home city in Australia, which is, you know, just a normal, you know, quite a safe city, doing the rounds on Facebook, someone was attacked by a machete there, but the question is, which place is safer? The one that mm. you're not familiar with or the one that um, we are familiar with? So there's dangers everywhere. Absolutely. And so I, I, would I be safe to assume that you're you're definitely including travel insurance when you travel? Uh, yes, definitely. And um, that, that's, that's a, certainly a definite. Um, in fact, I, I travel with... Uh, well, what I refer to as free travel insurance, um, because what uh, and it's probably the same in the U.S., but in in Australia you can suspend your uh, your health insurance while you're away, uh, health insurance premium, so that sort of really covered offset the cost of the travel insurance. Mm. That's a good point. Good point. And one other question: you you were traveling all over, and, and you met people. Did some of those people return their favor and come to Australia and seek you out? Uh, there's uh, there's a list of people that are keen to uh, keen to come down under, and uh, we look forward to uh, to um, having them as well. Yeah, that's awesome. That, no, I mean actually there was a um, was a friend that I met. Uh, I was just actually doing this um, cycling, and we just sort of buddied up, and he did come to Australia we didn't quite didn't quite work out to, to meet up but uh, we caught up with him in back in Austria had uh, a lovely few days with uh, him and his wife and and once again it's, it's a great thing about travel is the people you meet and uh, um, 
and the friends you make from it and then from that there's that further cultural experiences yeah like that little time in Austria on that recent trip just to have that I mean we could have traveled through Austria as a tourist and and ticked off all the things and but it's when you actually experience with local people and uh, that's and and then sort of get the opportunity to meet their friends and just get that whole cultural experience that that's just the magic of, uh, of, of travel absolutely I think my biggest takeaway is that we're never too old to do this and to overcome our fears and just get out there and enjoy life. Oh, definitely. And and even, like, never too old. Like, I, I came across, there's this, um, Af- um, not, not uh, a Japanese-American, and he was 82. He was in uh, Guatemala, and he goes down, he leaves his wife behind because she's not so keen on traveling, so off he goes, goes for a few months, and he was studying Spanish down there, the Spanish school I was doing. And, and to me, it's just such a, a great uh, inspiration. And, and I'd come across friends who did come across, you know, 80 year old women that, um, you know, were similarly, you know, traveling around. So, so yes, no, you're quite right. Age is no barrier. It's just uh, we're, we're the only ones that are stopping ourselves. It's not all the other, other factors. I love it. I love it. And for those that, are still not convinced and need even more information, please tell them how they can get your youthful art midlife travel adventures and how to learn more information about you, Chris. Yeah, so it's uh, youthfulmidlifetravel.com. So youthfulmidlifetravel.com. Uh, there's the, the book in there. But even if um, just to, to sign up there, if there's a, uh, ten, ten, um, or five tips on travel, just download that and uh, put your put your name down and because um, uh, <clears throat> one of the things I'm I'm really um, looking to do is is helping to inspire people and 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 give tips and uh, to about it to take on your own um, uh, adventures, overcome those fears that are, that are stopping you from doing it, giving you the confidence to be able to do it. I love it. Well, you have just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. Salutations to David that could make it today. Chris Herman, it was a pleasure. Let's, you know what, we'll probably meet somewhere on the earth. Well, that would be great. I look forward to it. It's been a pleasure chatting with you uh, today, Hamza. Likewise. Let's stay in touch. Okay. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Listen to Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective on Radio Public. It's a free, easy-to-use app that helps listeners like you find and support shows like ours. When you listen to our show on Radio Public, we receive direct financial support every time you hear an episode. Experience our show and Radio Public today by listening to the show link in our episode notes, and thank you for listening.